Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Friday the 17th of February 2012, entitled, What in the World is Going On? And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, good evening. That was weak. Good evening. That's better. All right. It is a blessing to be here back at the uh, Sword of the Spirit Conference. We've had a great, great week. Uh, but it almost is, would be unfitting if we just ended on Thursday night. It, it culminates in this weekend of uh, Young Adult Conference. And I thank God for the uh, opportunity to be here. I know many of you uh, very well. Uh, you've had to put up, I mean, um, uh, enjoy me for, no. You've had to put up with me, I guess, now 10 years. And it's hard to believe that it's been 10 years ago. Um, but I want to say publicly how much I thank God for Bethel Free Baptist Church and Pastor Larry Curtis. Um, I thank God for the people here at this fellowship. Uh, this conference started with a, uh, a, a whopping 12 young people. And uh, many of those are still here. Many of those are still here. I haven't run them off after 11 years. Can you believe that, Brother Steve? But uh, I thank God for the young people here at Bethel Free and uh, the young, young adults. Let me say, they were young people when we started this thing. Now they're, some of them are 47 years of age. I, I won't point them out. But I thank, God. I thank God for the privilege of being here. It's good to see all of you. I see so many good friends. Um, I feel like I need to do this before we start. Some of you, this is how many of y'all, I, I was sitting there, I couldn't see the raise of hands. How many of you, this is your first time here at, at the Sword of the Spirit Conference? Just let me see. I think I, I can tell because I don't recognize you, but we'll get to know each other. Let's see a couple over here. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. I think they want, I think they want me to play some practical joke on you before it's over with, but it's like, what a friend, right? He's like, yeah, get him good. Um. I feel like I need to do this for some of you young people's sake. Um, we left here, and, and, and you folk at Bethel, you, you've already been through this, so just bear with me. Um, we left uh, last year on March the 2nd, headed back home. Uh, many of you remember my son was here with us. Um, we got home on the 2nd. Uh, we rested that week. Uh, my son worked with me um, at my place of employment where I work. And uh, Pastor Russ, we, uh, we got in the truck on a Monday morning. I re- I'll never forget it. And, and we headed toward work. And my son was one of those that never brought up some issue. He never brought up certain topics. He never talked about it. Brother Dave, this morning we were heading to work and he looked at me and he said, Dad, let me ask you a question. If any of you knew Seth, he didn't talk a lot, but once you got to really know him, he'd talk a year off. I mean, he'd talk a tree down. I mean, he'd sit there and talk a tree, boom, just fall right over, you know. But uh, he looked at me and he said, Dad, if, if something happened to you or Pastor Larry, he said, you know, and, and, and God forbid y'all passed away or died, who would do y'all's, who does pastor's funerals? I said, well, that's a pretty good question. I never thought about it. I said, but I've got some good men that if something happened to me, they would do my home going. And uh, he, back there, one of my friends would be one of them. And uh, 
He said, well, Dad, I'm getting ready to go in the Marine Corps. And he said, if something happened to me, he said, would you do my funeral? Uh, that was on a Monday, the 8th of March. Nineteen days later, I had to do my son's funeral. Some of you may not have seen the details. Uh, he was killed in a head-on collision. He was a passenger. Um, I'll announce to you tonight that my son did not have to suffer. They say upon impact, uh, he gave his life up. It was that instant. Had a, a massive contusion in the back of his head. His neck was broken. But you know what, Dave? As we drove up on the scene, I, it's so surreal. Young people, what I'm trying to tell you is this. You came to this conference and God forbid anything happened to you precious people. But can I go ahead and announce to you tonight that you don't know if you leave this conference, if you even have another tomorrow. You have no idea. My son kissed my wife on her forehead. He patted me, and this is the way he used to say goodbye to me. He patted me on the backside and said, good game. And I said, okay, thank you. That's just his way of saying goodbye. And he left out the door, Pastor, and 17 minutes later, my phone rang, Carl. And it was his picture, Dino. And I went, wonder what he's calling me for. And I answered the phone, and it was the mother of the girl that was driving the car, and she was screaming. And she said, you've got to get down here. Your son's been in a horrific car accident. Folks, I've never been put in a position to where I, my, my faith was tested like it was that day. But I can announce to you that we got down in front of that car and they could not get him out of it, so they had to drape a sheet over it until the coroner could come and pronounce him dead. Forty-five minutes, we had to stand there and wait for a coroner to come. But I can remember as my wife fell at my feet and she's crying, you mothers, some of you have been there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you do not, and I thank God you don't have to. But let me say this, as my wife sat at my feet, I raised my hand toward heaven, Penos, and I said, Lord, I still love you, I still believe in you, and please help us get through this. And you know what the Bible says? It says, His grace is sufficient for thee. His grace is sufficient. I told the people on Sunday morning here at Bethel that it was about a week after he had passed away that I was out in the yard and uh, we, it just, just began, everything began to bud and springtime was there and I was clipping some, some rose petals, some rosebuds off of a little miniature rose bush my wife's got outside the house and I plucked my finger and it began to bleed and pastor, I, I thought about, I thought about what it must have felt like when God, I didn't give my son but God gave His. My son was taken. And by the way, can I go ahead and tell you all this? People have asked me why would God allow something like that to happen to a 17-year-old young man who was getting his life straightened out, who was writing music. I'm going to play you all a song he wrote. I've got it on, 
on our laptop, and I want to play it for you after we get done with the service and after we eat tonight. But somebody asked me, why would God allow that to happen to a 17-year-old young man? The only thing I can tell you, young people, is this. Number one, he wasn't mine to begin with. He was God's. I remember the day that he was born. Me and my wife looked toward heaven. We said, God, thank you for loaning us a child. At that time, Miss Janie, we had already had one in heaven. I've got two children waiting on me. I already have a precious daughter, and God gave us a son. And I said, God, just like Hannah gave Samuel back to you, I'm giving Seth back to you. Thank you for loaning him to me. But not only was he not mine, he was God's. Number two, Dino, he was ready. That's why God took him. He was ready. Can you imagine what it would feel like if you lost a brother or sister and you didn't know where they were going to spend eternity? Hey, I know where my son's at. My son's in heaven. Not because he was a preacher's son. <laughs> my soul, if anybody of you knew my son long enough and most of the Curtises, uh, they know my son. He'd tear up an anvil with a feather. <laughs> Amen. That boy, was tr he was rough. It's all right to laugh. Go ahead and laugh. It's all right. He was rough, man. But you know what I can't believe about people? They think that preacher's kids are to be perfect. Isn't that something? How's a preacher's kid supposed to be perfect when they play with deacon's kids all their life? Amen. <laughs> I don't understand it. Sorry, deacons. But listen, my son was ready because he was saved by the grace of God. Not because of works that he had done. Not because of his good moral life or lack thereof. It was because he had put his faith in God. And young people, you're not here by accident this weekend. You're here by divine appointment. I pricked my finger and I looked at that and I went, you know what? Everything that God does in our life, and I know that most of you have heard everything I've ever preached. Dave, I know you have. You've been here, you've probably been here longer than 10 years, I think. You was about four years old when you came to this conference. I didn't believe, that's unbelievable. <laughs> Do you know what? I pricked my finger and I said, you know what? Everything God does in our lives is for our good and His glory. Everything he does. Peter, you know, I know you wondered why that hernia made you walk the way you did, but you know what it does? It, made, it just makes us have this simple dependence upon him. I pricked my finger and I wrote a poem. It says, I walked into my garden to pick a lovely rose. And joy and peace and happiness was all I could suppose. But as I went to pick a bloom, a sharp pain ran through my hand. And God said, no flower for you to pick today. A thorn is what I planned. It looked like a thorn. My image was torn, but God meant it for good. It caused me to mourn, but His likeness was born. For God meant it for good. It caused me some pain, but the loss has been gained like sunshine after rain. For God meant it for good. My heart desired some comfort, some days of peace and ease. 
A time of quiet restfulness, some charm my soul would please. But as I went to search for my want, God sent instead a need. He said, in order to have a tender heart, it's best your heart should bleed. It looked like a thorn. My image was torn, but God meant it for good. It caused me to mourn, but His likeness was born. For God meant it for good. It caused me some pain, do you know? But the loss has been gained like sunshine after rain. For God meant it for good. I want to ask you a question tonight before we even look at the Scripture. Do you understand what God's doing in your life is for your good? Jo- listen, jo- listen. Joseph looked at his brothers and said, You know what you did to me was unto evil, but thank God he meant it unto good. God is not here to do you wrong. He's not some mean ogre. And you know what? We need to start enjoying the fact that God loves us instead of looking like we're robots who are just obligated to come to church and just... You know what? God has given you breath to praise Him. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Everything. And by the way, that means everything He's doing in your life. Whether it be good... Or bad, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did also to predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. You want to know why God has allowed us to go through, our family to go through what we just went through, so He could make us look more like Jesus. Well, I've primed a pump, I guess. Some of y'all know what I'm about now. So turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Let's look at the Scripture. 2 Thessalonians and chapter number 2. I do want to say it's a delight to be here. And I thank God for the young people. Thank God for you young adults. Thank God for the ones that's brought young people. Uh, You know what? Y'all are a blessing to me. And uh, I'll tell you what, if Jesus uh, tarries and He don't come back, I hope we have this thing until I'm 85 years of age, which ain't but about 10 years from now. I don't feel like I think. But anyway... I just appreciate the fact of being here. Um, Can I say this to you young people? There's times people ask me, you know what, you seem so energetic. I know that ain't a word. I just make them up. (laughs) They say, man, you get so so passionate about everything. Why why do you do this like that? Don't you get tired? Of course I get tired. Look at my hairline. Do you understand I get weary too? But you know what, folks? We get tired in the ministry, but we ought to never get tired of the ministry. I'm talking to some of you pastors. I, I Listen, I can guarantee you that every single one of you in here that's pastored a church or been in the ministry feel like quitting every Monday morning. Don't look at me like that. You know I'm telling the truth. There's some of you uni students. Listen, you're going to university. You're going to college. You know what? There's times when you just want to pack it on in and not press on and just give up. I'm going to tell you right now, we better be glad that Jesus didn't do that. Jesus Christ went a little farther. He went to Golgotha's hill. He gave His life for you. And you know what's crazy? There's a whole lot of things in the Bible that this preacher, I've studied this book until I'm from cover to cover, and I love this book. I love the things in it. But you know what? You can read about Jesus on every page, but there's things in this book I can't answer. There's things that I can't really understand. Because the Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord, and it's okay to let God have a few secrets. I don't know everything. 
So don't come to me and ask me questions. Well, you can go ahead and ask me. You can go ahead and ask me. I'll go ahead and tell you right now that answers are five pounds and right answers are ten pounds. No, I'm just playing. I don't know all the answers, but I know this. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto Him against that day. My hope is built on nothing less, Romani, than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Ladies and gentlemen, I announce to you tonight that what we're going to look at this weekend is absolutely essential. I dare, listen, I dare say that maybe two times in ten young adult conferences that I've ever preached on prophecy. But young people, you know this as well as I do, that we live in a day and age where the chess pieces are being put in place. God Almighty is getting ready to come on the scene. And I want to ask you something. we got all these questions about who's going to do this and who's going to be the Antichrist. And before you go ahead and... I'm just going to go ahead and put this out there. I don't know who the Antichrist is. So don't come and ask me if it's our president or your prime minister or that crazy idiot over there in Iran. I don't know who it is. You say, you know what? That guy's got a nuclear bomb, man. Aren't you scared of him? Nah. Well, what if he blows us up? Can I say this? If we blow up, we go up. I ain't afraid to die. You going to threaten me with eternity? Some of y'all get that on the way home. Sunday. Sunday. Oh, I got... You'll be driving home or on the, on the, on the train Sunday. I, I got it. But young people, I'll ask you a question. What in the world is going on? What really is going on? we got two big question marks up here. You know, and I think everybody's got all these questions that they want to answer, especially prophetic questions. But you know what, tonight, I don't... Listen, I am not a preacher, and everybody that knows me knows this. I love you, but I'm not here to be politically correct. I'm here to be prophetically correct. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you right now that what we read this weekend is going to be essential to your walk with Christ. You want to know why? Because the Bible says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question tonight. What have you done with Jesus Christ? The biggest question you could ever answer in your life is, what have you done with Him? Not what you're going to do with your life, but what you've done about Him. See, we go to university because we want to be somebody. We want to get a degree. We want to get an education. We want to be somebody. Can I ask you a question tonight? Do you go to university or to your job because you want to be somebody? Or do you go there because you want to serve somebody? See, I'm going to go ahead and get right to the crux of the whole thing. It's just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. You've got to make a decision this weekend. We're going to start by looking at what in the world's going on. I want you to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and look at verse number 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, look at verse number 1. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is a hand. Look at verse 3. Let no man deceive you. Now let me go ahead and stop right there and make a statement. 
It's one thing, preacher, to have an outside agent or somebody else that can deceive you. By the way, we're going to look at the real enemy tonight. We're going to look at the real enemy tomorrow. We're going to look at the real enemy on Sunday. Your, listen, your mom or dad, your university professor, whoever it is, I don't know what, what you, what's going on in your life. I had not read your mail. I don't know your address. I don't know where you live. But I can tell you this, many of us, if we're not careful, will make somebody on this earth our enemy when the real enemy is Satan, the devil. He is the great deceiver. But the problem that most of us have is we don't have just an agent or an enemy that's outside without that's deceiving us. The Bible says, let no man deceive himself. Do you know you have the capability within you to deceive your own selves? 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 16 says, Know you not that your temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man destroy this temple, him shall God destroy. If any man defile this temple, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. By the way, the next time that you go out, next time that you delve into something at 2 a.m. in the morning, remember, you're not God. Listen, you're not your property. You're God's property. If any man defile this temple, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. You're not your own property. You've been bought with a price. But the next verse says, listen, let no man deceive himself. I went to a nursing home, and I'll just kind of take a little rabbit trail, okay? Just give me a second. I went to a nursing home one time, and there was a guy in there that was, listen, talking out of one of those things that you put up to your throat, and it sounds like this talking like this right here the whole time. He had one of these little microphones. He'd go up to his, I mean, it's just talking like that because he had a hole in his throat. You want to know what it was from? It was from 40 years of smoking. Now listen, I'm not saying that smoking is a sin. I'm just saying if it's, listen, a problem in your life and you're addicted to it, whatever it is, you can be critical if you want. But listen, there's a lot of people that are committing suicide with a fork and knife just as much as they are with cigarettes. Wow, it is quiet in here. <laughs> Anything done in excess can become addictive. And one of the greatest pleasures in life that you've been given, young people, is an appetite, so be careful what you crave. Hello? You know, this guy had a throat, listen, he had a hole in his throat because he'd smoked for 40 years, and he had, listen, throat cancer. And by the way, while I was sitting there watching this guy, as I'm filling up a vending machine in a nursing home, he has already got a, listen, he's already had throat cancer. But I watched him light up a cigarette... And he didn't put it to his mouth. He put it to the hole in his throat. And, and smoke came out the hole in his throat. You know what I said to myself? I said, that guy's deceived himself about whose property he really is. I mean, you would, you would think, you know, after it almost kills you that you'd quit. Now, I'm not going to park there. I'm just saying, listen, we have the capability, young people, within us to deceive our own selves. But look at what date, listen, listen to what Paul says. Look at the next verse. Let no man deceive you, verse 3, by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a what? Falling away first. Now I know that a lot of Bible scholars say the falling away is apostasia in the Greek language. Okay? And, and that is what it's translated. However, there is an A before that which makes it a definite article. Now you say, preacher, what's that mean? Well, I'm speaking Greek, all right? 
I can't speak much of it. You just ask, well, where'd Panos go? Did the rapture take place? Well, Panos is Greek. He speaks Greek. He knows Greek. And he'll tell you the same thing I'm getting ready to tell you, that the word, little word A in front of those words falling away is a definite article, which means that it is an isolated, instantaneous, spontaneous event. It does not take a period of time. There's no parenthesis. It is an instantaneous event. Can I submit to you that you know what I think this means? I think right here it's talking about the great kidnapping of the saints. There'll come a falling away first, and that man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now let me just go ahead and give you a little timeline, young people, before we go any farther and let you know where we're at. All right? There's a prophetic timetable or calendar that God has set forth. Let me go ahead and explain to you this. Let's say, for instance, that we're going to make this bouquet of flowers. Beautiful, isn't it? Amen? Picked them myself. <laughs> this bouquet of flowers, we're going to let represent a... Listen, the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. All right? We're going to let that bouquet of flowers represent the rapture. Now, we're going to let this bouquet of flowers, young people, represent what we call the revelation in glory. Now you say, preacher, what's the difference between the two? The rapture, revelation. Aren't they the second coming of Christ? No. This is, this event, the rapture, is not the second coming because Jesus Christ is not coming physically to the earth. He's coming halfway in the clouds. By the way, we as God's people are not seeking, listen, looking for a sign. We're listening for a sound. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. You say, preacher, why'd you get so emphatic right there? Because if Jesus is going to shout when he comes back, I know I'm going to be shouting. It says, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And Paul said, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's encouraging to know tonight that Jesus could come back before I say the last amen, pastor. He could come so quick, Steve, we could inhale here and exhale in glory. Amen? The rapture of the church, the revelation in glory. You say, preacher, why have you got them apart? Because between those two events is a period called the tribulation. A seven-year period that literally, folks, will be unparalleled to anything we've seen. If you think 9-11 was bad, you wait till the, 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 till the tribulation. And by, by the way, I'm glad I'm not going to be here. Because I've trusted Christ. Not because, I, listen, not because of anything I've done, but because He finished it. See, Christianity is not a doing religion. Christianity is a done religion. God, listen, Christ did it all. And He said, it is finished. Hallelujah. Some of y'all ain't excited about that, but I am. This is the rapture. This is the revelation. How many years in between? Class? Huh? What's this? Y'all going to catch on in a minute. Y'all got a C minus for that right there. How, what is this? What is this? How many years in between? Okay, after the revelation, there is a thousand year reign of Christ. We are going to rule, and it's not metaphorical. The Bible says in Revelation 21, we will, Revelation 20, we will rule and reign with Christ 1,000 years. And let me go ahead and submit something to you. If you got saved in the last year. Your eternal life don't start when you get to heaven. Huh? Your eternal life starts the very moment, Tim, that you have trusted Christ. So you know what? Right now, 
I am 29 years old in Jesus Christ. Guess what? When I get to this point after the rapture and after the revelation, I'm going to be one thousand... Listen, I'm going to rule and reign with Christ a thousand years. Your eternal destiny, your eternal life don't start at the... Listen, at the thousand year reign. It starts the very moment that you accept Christ as your Savior. You say, preacher, why are you saying all that? Because, folks, there's been some speculation about what's going on right now. Is the church going to go through the tribulation? Is it going to be caught up before? Halfway in it. There's a lot of people in this room that might have differing opinions of when the rapture takes place. My question to you is, do you, I don't care what the time is. I'm just saying, do you really believe it's going to happen? See, the biggest question is, do you believe in that physical little event called the rapture of the church? You say, well, preacher, I don't believe it's going to happen at the, at, uh, before the tribulation. Well, I'm preaching you're not, so I'm going to say this. I'm going to poke you on the way up if you don't believe that, and I'm going to say, I told you we would. <laughs> I believe I can listen. I believe I can prove it from Scripture. The Bible says in First Thessalonians chapter number five and verse number nine, God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He was speaking to believers, Malcolm. He wasn't speaking to lost people, so they had already received the redemption of the soul. What was he talking about? The redemption of the body. Behold, I show you a mystery, for we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At that last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I know I'm Baptistical. It's all right. That's Baptist and Pentecostal. No, I'm just fine. I'm a little bit of all of it. Amen. But see, listen, folks, I'm telling you this. This event is going to happen. The seven-year period is going to happen called the time of Jacob's trouble. Why has God allowed that seven-year period to take place? Primarily for the judgment of Israel. His God's covenant people. Can I say this? He's trying to turn their heart back to Him. And by the way, you say, well, preacher, I just don't understand a God that will let all that wrath come out of heaven. You better thank God for His grace right now. The wrath of God's not upon you. Sin will have to be judged because God is holy. God is just. I'm glad I'm not God. I'd wipe all of you out right now. No, I wouldn't. I'm just playing. I love you. Aren't you glad you're not God? I'm glad I'm not. I'm glad He's who He is and I'm who I am. And I'm glad He called me to serve Him. I'm glad He called me to enjoy Him. But young people, let me tell you something. If you miss this event right here, can I tell you what you can expect if you miss that event? There's some things that you're going to... Listen, you're going, you can expect that to happen. Number one, it's called desertion. Desertion. You say, preacher, where you get that from? Look at verse number one again. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse number 1. I've got to hurry. Some of y'all know that don't mean anything. You've, you've known me long enough to know that that don't mean anything. But I want you to look at 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse 1. He said, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Folks, can I say this? Any person in this room that's put their faith in Christ and Him alone, when the rapture takes place, is going to be caught up out of here. Listen, this event right here, Jesus Christ is coming for His saints. But this event called the revelation in glory at the end of the tribulation, Jesus is not coming for Tony, his saints. Bless God, he's coming with his saints. We're going to go over that on Sunday morning. 
The scripture says, Behold, I saw a white horse, and he that sat upon it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he did judge and make war. Said his eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I particularly don't like to ride a horse that long. Kind of get, kind of affects your walking style. But can I say this? You may not like horses. You may not even want to be around one. You'd say, why didn't God pick donkeys or mules or something like that to ride in? Because God chose a white horse. And what's white always stand for? Righteousness. The purity of the saints. Thank God we're not only going to ride a white horse, but we're going to get a white robe. You know, I've often thought about what it's going to be like. Tyler, I know how much a friend you were to my son. Amber, I know how much of a friend you were to my boy. I can only imagine what it's going to be like, Pastor, to see him again. Steve, I've got a daddy. I, I buried my dad in 2002. I buried my grandmother in 2000. I buried my son in 2011 at 17 years of age, Dave. And I thought for the last 11 months, what's it going to be like to see him again clothed in a white robe? Just up there picking his guitar. I don't know what he'd be doing. I'm just telling you, he's going to be singing praises to God. I know he's around the throne right now. And I know everything's all right in heaven, preacher. Because I checked this morning and God's still on the throne. I checked with him this morning and God's in control. You say, preacher, it don't look like it. He is. Everything's okay in heaven. Everything's just fine in the Father's house. But I've often wondered what it would be like. Can you imagine the throngs of people, of nations and kindreds and tongues? Thank God there's no segregation in heaven. Can I have an amen right there? Thank God that there ain't going to be a group of Asians over here and a group of black folk over here and some white folk over here. And then there's going to be those Baptists that's going to be huddled around whispering. And they, they the only one, they think they're the only ones there anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just playing. Y'all forgive me. Lord, I, I apologize, Lord, right now. I'm so sorry. But you know, I've often thought what it's going to be like to be in heaven and try to wade through the crowd to find your long-lost loved ones in that reunion, Peter. But I can only imagine saying, you know what? All you folk going to get out of the way. I've got to find what I'm really looking for. Can you imagine seeing Jesus Christ for the first time? I've often imagined what it's going to be like. I've preached about Him for a long time now. I've prayed to Him for a long time. I've watched Him work miracles. I've watched Him do some great things just this week. But I think the greatest miracle of all was the day that He took His blood and He applied it to my heart and He washed it. And washed it white. Can I say something, young people? I'm 45 years old. I got saved when I was 21. Can I say this, young people? Let me tell you something. If that ever gets old to you, it's time for you to have a great awakening in your heart. You should never get over the fact that I am so glad that Jesus loves me.
Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I'm so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. And you know what I'm so thankful for? There's no going to be any de- 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 desertion in heaven. Thank God when we're raptured out of here, it says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Thank God there'll be no... Listen, there'll be no more days where there's not reunion. There'll be no more departures. There'll be no more absence of loved ones. You're going to be forever and forever and forever around the throne of God with your people and with Jesus Christ. But can I tell you what to expect if you don't know Jesus and this event happens? I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be left here for the next seven years to go through literally hell on earth. The wrath of God poured out upon this earth that is shaking their fists. And let me tell you how much God loves His people. Let me tell you how much God loves everybody. God loves us so much that He would allow. Listen to this now. God loves us so much that He would allow people to make a choice whether they want to burn a Bible, whether they want to demonstrate against His name. God loves people enough that He ain't going to make people robots. He says, you can make a conscious decision, an act of your will to choose to love me, but I'm not going to twist your arm to do it. I want you to love me. I'm going to tell you something, folks. That's true love. Love ain't beating somebody over the head with a ball bat and making them love them. That's not love. But God says, you've got a choice to make tonight. Everybody in the sound of my voice, listen to me you got a choice to make tonight. Some of you in this room, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, your eternal destiny. You do not know that. But I can promise you tonight, you can know before you leave this place this weekend. And I didn't say that. God did. This book says it. You can know that you can have eternal life. Not think it, not hope it, but you can know. Listen, if you, listen, if you miss the rapture, let me tell you what to expect. Number one, desertion. We're going to be gone, and you're going to be left. The next thing that's going to happen, you can expect, is deception. Not only desertion, but number two, deception. Look at verse number three. I've got to be done in just a second. What time it? Okay, all right, I'm good. Pastor Larry's going, no, you ain't. Look at verse three. Let no man what? Deceive you. Some of you know about Jim Jones, Guyana. Said he was God. Gave everybody Kool-Aid and killed them because he said he was God and it was time for them to go with him. I'm going to tell you right now, that man had rental property upstairs unfurnished. He was something wrong with that guy. He was messed up. Not only was he a deceiver, but you know what? There was a man in the 1990s named David Koresh. You ever heard of that? The Branch Davidian Compound in Waco, Texas. We call it Waco, Texas now. Hey. Hey. <laughs> oh, you must be from Waco. I mean, Waco. Amen. <laughs> Lord, I apologize right now. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. But you know what? I've got friends from there. I've got friends from there that said that there were, there were people that went into that Branch Davidian compound who were Harvard Law graduates. They were, listen, graduates of the Massachusetts Institution of Technology. Listen, folks, you know what? You've almost got to make a perfect score in the SAT in the United States of America even to get in if you can. Listen, intellectual people that were learned and knew things, but they were so deceived in believing that David Koresh said, if you'll marry me, you'll be the bride of Christ. 
Do you know since our Lord Jesus Christ had the earthly ministry here for uh, 2,000 years ago, for 33 and one-half years, do you know since then there have been no less than 1,000 men who have come on the scene and said, I'm Jesus Christ? Jesus looked at His disciples at the Mount of Olives and said, Listen, don't let no man deceive you. There are many, many come in my, in my name and say, I'm Christ and deceive many. He said, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. You'll hear of, listen, there'll be earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in divers or all kind of places. Can I say this, folks? There have been more earthquakes in the last five years than there have been in the last 50 all put together. And can I ask you, why is there a whole lot of shaking going on on this earth? Because Romans 8.22 says, The earth groaneth and travaileth for the coming of Jesus Christ. You're going to be deceived. You can expect desertion and deception. Folks, there's going to come one on the scene called the Antichrist. You say, well, is it that guy in Iran? Is it Ahmadinejad? No, he's an idiot. All right, just tell me. You mark it down. They won't put me in jail. I don't care. I don't give a rip. I'm just telling the truth. He's, he's, he's about three french fries short of a Happy Meal, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he's crazy. He calls Israel Satan, and he calls the United States the great Satan. He says he's going to take those nuclear warheads, and he's going to blow Israel off the face of the earth. You know what? I read Genesis 12 and 15. He's got a little bit coming to him. I think he's going to have a big problem with one called Jehovah. I'll bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. Folks, I can speak by experience because I am one of them. And if our nation doesn't turn its heart back to God, and if the UK don't, I'm not so sure our goose ain't already cooked. Sometimes we get what we deserve, not what we want. And do you know what God's trying to do, I believe? I believe He's trying to raise up, young man, I believe He's trying to raise up some people that'll serve God. And without fear of favor, say, I don't care what people think. I don't care. Listen, I'll, I, I don't care if a hair lips the devil. I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what to expect if you get left behind. You're going to face desertion. You're going to face deception. But the Scripture says in that seven-year period, there's going to be destruction unparalleled to anything we've ever seen. I don't mean to leave you as a fatalist, and I'm not trying to you know, say, well, rain on your parade, and, you know, because we serve a good God. But can I say this? God is just and holy, and there's going to come a judgment on this earth. It's called the seven, listen, it's called the seven trumpets. It's called the seven vials, the seven seals. There's judgment going on, on the earth. There, listen, there'll be hailstones the size of a hundred pounds apiece fall out of heaven. There's going to be demon locusts released out of the bottomless pit. You say, preacher, is that really going to happen? Absolutely. And you know what it is? It's trying to turn men's hearts. And listen, there are going to be millions of people saved during the tribulation period, but I dare say it'll be anybody on the sign of my voice tonight that has understood that Jesus Christ died for them, rose from the dead, and, and died for their sins, and has ascended to heaven. If you know that, and you reject that, and you die tonight, and the rapture, ta and, and, and the rapture takes place, and you go into that tribulation period... I ain't got time to read this whole chapter, but at the end of it, it says, God will allow strong delusion to be sent that men will believe a lie that they all might be damned because they love not. They, they didn't love the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You say, preacher, what's your point? 
My point is, what in the world's going on? I can tell you what's going on. God is doing everything He can to gather everybody He can. My Bible still says, young people, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ died for all. That does not mean that all are going to be saved, but that means that everybody can be saved. Amen? I don't want you to turn there, but you can close your Bibles. I'm done with this. Do you know that the oldest man in the Bible's name was Methuselah? Anybody know how old he was? Go ahead. If you know it, say it. 969 years of age. All right? Now let me ask you something. Did you know that when Methuselah was 187, he had a son named Lamech? When Lamech was 182, he had a son named Noah. Anybody know about Noah? <laughs> Hello? Now guess what? If Methuselah was 187 and he had a son named Lamech, and Lamech had a son that was a, when he was 182 named Noah... Let me ask you to do some math. Now, this isn't hard math. Don't have to get your abacus out or your cell phone because it better be off. But how much is 187 and 182? 360. Wow. Did you get that tape they've been showing on TV, you know? Amen. Praise the Lord. 369 years old. That's 369 years. Now let me explain something, folks. God always, listen to this now, God always sends a messenger before He ever sends judgment. Do any, listen, do you know that when God gave people names, when they were given names, God gave the parents illumination somehow to name their kids a certain name. Methuselah's name means this, when he dies, judgment shall be sent. Now let me, let me ask y'all to do me one more a a mathematic uh, equation. Does anybody in this room, girls, young men, does anybody in this room know how old Noah was when he entered into the ark? How much? 600 years old. How much is 600 and 369? 969 years of age. When did Mo Methuselah die? 969 years old. I contend to you that the very day that, listen, the very day that Noah entered on that ark, Methuselah fell over dead. And do you know what God gave the people in that day? They all knew what his name meant. But can you imagine what it was like when they were standing there and they watched a man build an ark in the middle of the desert? Great big old boat out in the middle of nowhere. Now listen, they had never seen rain. And he said, judgment's coming. And they said, you know what? What are you talking about? It's coming. God's going to, listen, God's going to send judgment. And I can only imagine that first day when, bloop, 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 and it just started raining, and they go, what is that? And I can guarantee you, Methuselah probably contracted the flu right then, and he died a few days later, and God said, Noah, get on the ark. Now, I'm going to tell you something, young people. Listen to me. God always sends a... Listen, He always sends a messenger before He sends judgment. And you know what the ark is a symbol of? The ark is a symbol of getting in. Getting in from the safety, from the wrath to come. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I am the door. 
John 10, 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If Listen, by me, if any man enter in, Dave, he shall be saved. It didn't say he might be. It said he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Can I ask you a question? Circuit riding preacher one time. Got done preaching his message. Young man came up to him. He preached about Jesus being the door. He looked at, the, looked at the young man and he said, Sir, have you ever been saved? Have you ever opened the door? He said, I don't know if I can get it unlocked. He said, well, let me tell you what the key is. The key is faith. If you'll put your faith in the door, unlock it, you can enter in. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's not the door of salvation. That's the door of your heart. If he, listen, you've got to let him in. He said, I stand at the door and knock. I want to ask you a question tonight. Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. Some of you in this room, you came here and you said, you know what, I hope and pray that Sunday gets here quick enough because I really don't want to be here. I hope that's not your attitude, but if it is, you know what? God's got you here on purpose this weekend. What in the world is going on? I want to ask you a question. What's going on in your life? Really? Are you ready for the next event on God's prophetic calendar? It's called the rapture. There's nothing that you can do to stop it. There's nothing that has to be fulfilled prophetically for it to happen. It could happen tonight before I say the last amen. Before we eat our meal, the rapture could take place. I'm wondering tonight, are you ready for it? Have you gotten into the ark? God has sent a messenger, and it ain't me. It's this. Jesus Christ is the way. Not a way, but the only way. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. I want to ask you something tonight. Are you ready? Are you ready? Is your passport stamped? Are you ready to meet Him? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around tonight. I want to ask a question. Nobody looking around tonight. You're here, young people. Mom and Dad, you're here. I wonder if you could answer this question. Judgment Day Honest. Nobody looking around, please. I wonder if you can answer this question, Judgment Day Honest, before God. I wonder if you're able to say this, Preacher, I know, I know that I'm going to go to heaven. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did. And I put my faith in Him, and I can raise my hand right now. I know that I'm going to go to heaven. I know I've been saved by the grace of God. I can raise my hand right now. Once you put it up, you can put it down. God bless your heart. God bless you. You're here tonight, you'd say, Preacher, you know what? I'm really concerned about my spiritual condition. I'm not sure if something happened to me tonight that I'd go to heaven, but I want to go. And I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody that would be willing to let me have the privilege of praying for you tonight? And you'd say, Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'd go to heaven, but I want to go. And I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that? Just slip it up and put it back down. God bless your heart. God bless you, friend. Anybody else? I want to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody? God bless you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Hey, listen. You Thank you, friend. You don't want to know the reason I ask it? Nobody looking around, please. Please be patient. Nobody looking around. You want to know the reason I ask that question? It's because, number one, I want you to be honest before God because He already knows. And number two, I want to know how to pray for you as intelligently as I can. So you know what? I'm going to be praying for you. But I want to ask one more thing. Tonight, if you aren't saved, if you're not sure heaven's your home, 
Can I ask you something? Do you want to go through desertion? Do you want to go through a deceptive period of time called the tribulation? Do you want to see the unveiling of the wrath of God, the destruction that's going to come upon this place? Just because of your pride? You'd say, well, if I raise my hand, there's people already in my youth group that think I'm saved. You know what? I'd rather God know I was saved than my friends think I was. I want to ask you something tonight. Do you know that heaven's your home? If you don't know that, I'm praying for you. Hey, Christian, let me ask you a question. You're ready for the rapture. But can I ask you this? Do you understand that the next face you'll see after that event happens is Jesus Christ? And you're going to stand alone and give an account of what you've done after you've been saved. I hope and pray that we can all sing. Listen, we can sing and hear the song, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I think some of us will be singing more, more, so much more. When by His grace I shall look on His face, I had wished I had given Him more. What about you tonight? Have you given Him all? Is your all upon the altar? I'm praying for you that raised your hand. You're not sure you're saved. I'm praying for you as a Christian that you'll be ready for that next, next event. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this time together. Now, Lord, I pray that you just have your willing way in the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, for the ones that raise their hand, God, I pray right now. Oh, God, I pray that you'd help them to understand that it's nothing that they can do except put their faith in you. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd help, help them to have boldness to do that. Come to talk to me or one of the dear pastors that are here. Lord, it ain't about us. It's all about you. And all we are is dying men, preaching to di dying men, preaching to dying men. And so I pray that you just give us exactly what we need this weekend. Help us to drop off our pride and our callousness and our discouragement and look into the lovely face of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, you paid it all. The least I can do is live for you. And I'll love you, and I'll praise you for what you do in our midst this weekend because we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.